0: Who knows that life can deal you surprises? Sometimes, I was uh, out for brunch with my father yesterday. Uh, he's not here, is he? Good. No, it's all right. I can tell stories about him. You don't tell him, Joanna, right? Um, well, he's probably already told you, because oh, my father's eighty-one, and I've noticed that you know, he's showing some signs of he's not quite as steady on his feet as, as he used to be and so I, I watch him a bit carefully, it was raining yesterday and uh, we went and had, had had brunch and we'd actually tried to get uh, into Argo on the parade but they were lined down the parade with m- menus in their hand trying to get in so we thought well, perhaps not so we actually went over to Dulwich so I left my car in the parade and we drove in his car and when we came back um, I thought just to save sort of him getting out of the car uh, as we were driving down the parade we stopped at the lights, I hopped out and went back to my car and so me, fit, hale and healthy gets out of the car steps onto the slippery tiles on the median strip with absolutely no friction whatsoever and go backside overhead and smack my hip straight into the ground or the tiles actually, in the middle of this thing I'm lying there thinking damn it's the old man who's supposed to do that and I'm supposed to help him <laughs> not me falling let me tell you I'm bloody hurt <laughs> and I've got a huge bruise there um, so Tuesday night um, I may not be No, don't think I'll use that as an excuse but sometimes things happen to you that you, you don't expect and uh, that would be a really good lead-in for a message but it doesn't have anything to do with what I'm going to preach this morning but I, I threw that in free of charge so do with that what you will but if you've got your bibles if you could turn with me to the book of galatians galatians chapter 2 and verse 11 and if you haven't got your bibles it'll come up on the screen but don't let that stop you looking at your bibles if you've got them because i think it's always good to use your own And galatians two eleven says when peter came to antioch and this is paul the apostle paul talking and Paul was from Antioch, so Peter's come visiting. He said, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. So you can see this wasn't going to be a cheerful meeting. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians. Now, for those of you who don't know, because I as a child reading some of Hans Christian Andersen's fairy tales, and in them they mentioned Gentiles. And I had no idea as a child what a Gentile was, so I thought they were gentle people. Although if you've read some of Hans Christian Andersen's fairy tales, you come to realise very quickly that they weren't gentle people. Um, So I was a bit puzzled about this, but I discovered, and who knows, sometimes you discover things you think, oh, is that all? A Gentile is just someone who's not a Jew. So Gentile Christians were non-Jewish Christians. And they weren't circumcised. Don't advise that you find that out by checking. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So here we have the crux of the matter that we've been talking about in Galatians for the last few weeks, months, most of the year, in fact. Who knows that it's now August? The year is more than half over. Christmas is only 17 weeks away. So now we're all feeling good. Why was Paul confronting people, uh, Peter, not people, a particular person called Peter? To put it simply, Peter had fallen into the trap of believing that there were good and bad Christians. I was just thinking of Austin Powers, but never mind. Settle. Paul's message to Peter and his message to us is simply this. There are no good Christians so they st- tr- stop trying to be one okay I, that's it I've finished that's my message for today now that's a uh, that's a fairly broad statement uh, a lot of people I know like to think that they're good Christians in fact I hear that term thrown around quite a bit the idea of a good Christian they were a good Christian person and so the idea that perhaps there are no good Christians, in fact, you could read that two ways. You could say there are no good Christians. Who's met some of those? Um, let's, not, let's not go there. So what does that statement actually mean? Uh, first of all, for Peter, and secondly, for us as modern-day Christians. So to understand Peter's little brain fade here, uh, we have to go back to, to a, a situation that happened a, somewhat earlier that we can read about in the book of Acts. And it's in Acts chapter 10, starting at verse 1. Caesarea, there was a Roman army officer named Cornelius who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about 3 o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming towards him. Cornelius, the angel said. So couple of things we need to know about Cornelius first number one he was Italian now this is actually important because he's here living in Palestine but he's he's Italian the second thing is he was a convert to the Jewish religion he was not a follower of Jesus so when it says he was a devout man and prayed to God he actually had converted to the Jewish religion Number three, he was not accepted as a Jew by the Jewish people. Refer to point one, because he was Italian. Jewish people did not accept people of other cultures and races into, the, into the, their religion. And so he wasn't accepted basically because he was Italian, he was uncircumcised and he ate spaghetti marinara. <laughs> because the Jewish people did not go for seafood. And the other interesting thing is it says he gave to the poor which wasn't an uncommon thing for Romans to do but the poor that they gave to were the Roman poor It's Cornelius gave to the Jewish poor. So he was quite an out there character for his time. I mean can you imagine converting to a religion where the other practitioners wouldn't talk to you? Going to a church where you were given a seat at the back and nobody would even look even look at you. His faith in God must have been pretty strong. And so we come to verse 4. Cornelius stared at the angel as though this happened all the time. You people aren't keeping up are you? It says he stared at the angel in terror because obviously angels appearing wasn't a very common occurrence for Cornelius. What is it sir? He asked He still had the presence of mind to use, sir. And the angel replied, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal assistants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. I'm not actually sure how that's pronounced. Um, I looked it up on Google and this voice said Japa. I assume that's the American pronunciation. And then I looked in my Logos Bible and it said Yope. And I thought Joppa was easier to say, so we'll go we'll go with that. So a few pertinent facts we need to know about those few scriptures. One, Gentiles did not summon Jews to their home. Ever. So this is a unique occurrence. And two Joppa is over 50 kilometres away. Now, you might think, no worries. He obviously got his servants to get into his limo and drive down there. So, that, I mean, it's, it's at least a two day journey on foot. It's a bit like um, me deciding to go to London because uh, I've been told by God just to go there and meet someone. Because actually, it's probably yeah, about the same time to get to London on a flight as it would. So, it's a, it's, it's a big trip. So, meanwhile, in Joppa, 50 kilometers away, Peter is also praying. 10 verse, Acts 10 verse 9 says, The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up to the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. You can say amen to that. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open. Something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up Peter, kill and eat them. Good job Cecil the lion wasn't in there. <laughs> Too soon? <laughs> no Lord, Peter declared, I have never, never eaten anything that our Jewish law laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. We all know that Peter was a bit stubborn. Then the sheep was suddenly pulled up to heaven. So here we can see Peter is trying to be a good Jew. In fact, he's trying to be a better Jew than God. And number two, God brings him up on that point and says stop being a neurotic Nelly and realise that I'm in charge here, not you. And To his credit, Peter gets it. Not straight away though, because it goes on, Acts 10, 17 says, Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. And meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, it's interesting, the Holy Spirit didn't say to him, you dumbo, this is what the vision means the Holy Spirit said there are three men waiting downstairs and they've come looking for you get up go downstairs go with them without hesitation don't worry for I have sent them so Peter went down and said I'm the man you're looking for so it's opposed to Obi-Wan who said these are not the droids you're looking for Peter said I am the man you're looking for why have you come they said we were sent by Cornelius a Roman officer he is a devout and God fearing man well respected by all the Jews see even though they wouldn't talk to him he was well respected (laughs) strange situation a holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message so to cut it a bit shorter Peter goes with them to see Cornelius and when he gets there obviously a few days later he listens to Cornelius' side of the story and you can read this for yourself in Acts chapter 10. And then he makes an amazing statement. Acts 10:34 says, Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And then Peter started to preach the good news to these Italians. And God shows up in an extremely powerful way. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, Can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And afterwards Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. So we can see from this event that God's message to Peter was that the gospel message was for everyone. Not just the the Jewish people. And the way that Peter got this message was not in a text message. It just didn't go bing bing. God says preach to the Gentiles and he didn't do what we normally do with text messages yeah I'll deal with that later God in no uncertain terms through a very couple of very powerful visions and miracles made it really clear to Peter and Peter got it Peter said it is very clear to me that God has no favourites that the gospel is for everyone this was this was a miraculous occurrence which rivals paul's experience on the road to damascus so it wasn't as though peter wasn't sure about what god was telling him to do peter was not only in he'd been confronted with all this impure food that he wasn't supposed to eat and had god himself say well, stop following the rules that you think are right listen to what i'm telling you and peter says oh okay Novel idea, big revelation. I get it. That's so that we can be all things to all men and reach the whole world with the gospel. And so he's excited about this. He's sort of jumping up and down. He goes to Cornelius's place and the rude Gentiles start speaking in tongues while he's preaching. How dare they interrupt? I mean, can you imagine that? You're telling them about the Holy Spirit and they get the Holy Spirit before you've had a chance to pray for them. That can't be right. We'd never allow that to happen. That's not. In, that's not doesn't that go against will be. and so Peter's world has been turned upside down in such a way that he can't possibly mistake the fact that God's hand is in this. Can, can we see that? And so there's something really powerful has happened. Two visions. Two separate people 50 kilometres apart on slightly different days um, but both visions go against their natural instri- instincts. Peter argued with God. Cornelius nearly pooped himself. Um, It it was a a shocking experience. Peter's obedience to God's instruction leads to miraculous conversions and baptisms. And then Peter gets a clear revelation from God that he's to spread the gospel to the whole world, not just the Jewish world. So if we go back now to Galatians 2.11, I think we can understand why Paul's a little disappointed. In fact, quite amazed that Peter would backflip on this experience and suddenly start entertaining the idea that perhaps he shouldn't eat with the Gentiles because there's this group of people here who might whisper nasty things about him if he does. Notice he's not doing it because he's got another revelation from God. He's doing it because he's afraid of criticism. He's guilty of double-mindedness. Because he he hadn't changed his convictions he knew that the whole idea of circumcision and eating ritual food and things like that were Jewish customs they weren't godly commands but when it came to interacting with the Gentiles as he'd been called to do he was afraid to do it because he'd suddenly come under criticism by this group of people who said well hang on that's not the way we do things We've got a way of doing things that... You know, we're not going to listen to you if you don't follow them. In fact, in those days, they probably threatened him something with a little more life-threatening than just not listening to him. They would have threatened to expose him to the, to the Roman commanders, perhaps um, generate a false accusation which could get him killed. So there was, there was a lot of stress and a lot of threats... The trouble is, not only was it threatening Peter's conviction, but it it spreads. Double-mindedness is like a virus. I mean, it spread to Barnabas. See, Barnabas was a friend of Titus. Titus was a Gentile. And so it strained the relationship between Barnabas and and Titus as well. So this thing's spreading. So you can see that, you know, there's a situation getting out of control that, that Paul has to address. The other thing, of course, is not only is it just double-mindedness because of criticism. And who, who's ever been criticised? Who, who knows? It's it's uncomfortable. Who, who's ever been criticised and thought the other side might have had a point? You sort of think, well, yeah, I can see your point of view. But this is what God tells me. This is what God says. And we str- we struggle with that. I mean, I, I don't think you you're, you're probably too good a Christian if you don't struggle with that because these things challenge us if they if they didn't challenge us we wouldn't think they were criticism. you ever thought about that? Are, it's only criticism because it challenges you otherwise you just condemn it as rubbish. but the second thing is of course Jews and to some extent other cultures have it drilled into them from birth that other people are inferior. I mean, particularly the the Jewish people were the chosen ones of God. Everybody else was riffraff. They'd been chosen by God as his people and they'd done such a good job of following God. That was a joke. Hello? (laughs) Just checking that you're all still there. So it had been drilled into Peter and all the Jews since their youth that Gentiles were unclean. I mean, they had enough trouble with the Sumerians, and the Sumerians were almost Jewish. And you have heard, you know the story of the Good Samaritan. I mean, uh, they, they, they were mixed, mixed stock. They had Jewish blood in them, but still the Jews wouldn't talk to them. These are Gentiles, which totally off the planet when it came to the Jews. And so this had been drilled into Peter um, from the very beginning of his life. And so Peter and probably a lot of the other Jewish Christians still had this... This underlying sort of attitude in their lives that other people just weren't as good as them. Now I know that none of us have ever thought that, so that, it's a strange thought that you know Peter could have that, because none of us would ever think that anybody else was beneath us, not as good as us. Except that really we we all think that everybody else isn't as good as us, no matter who we are, um, which is wrong because I'm better than everyone. And you're all thinking exactly the same thing. So Peter was allowing cultural differences to become more important than gospel unity. He began to believe in good Christians. So Paul tackled him on it. Now if we fast forward 2,000 and a bit years to today, The Church, of course, has matured since the days of the Apostles. Cultural pride and Church customs are never a problem. We're not afraid of criticism, either from within or outside the Church, and we would never compromise the Gospel message. Furthermore, no one here would ever strive to be a good Christian, because we're all secure in who we are and never have any struggles in our faith walk. And I have an amen. Amen. Yes, well, that was a trick question. Sorry, that was naughty of me to do. But you see, there are there are things that happen today which are reminiscent of what Peter was struggling with. Uh, when I when I talk to people, and I get phone calls, probably at least one a week, from people who ask for the oddest sorts of advice. Um, but it's often there's a spiritual basis for it and when I, when I talk to people in the street and people, you know, they do things because like, people are good like this they say, what do you do for a living? And I'll say, oh, well, I'm a p- the pastor of a church and inevitably I get answers like oh, that's, that's interesting uh, yeah, I used to go to church I, I actually used to be a good Christian and, and go to church and pray and, and all of those things and um, yeah, I, I, I just don't do that anymore but I, but I should, be in touch with God. And often I get think, comments like, "Yeah, my life hasn't been the same since. I, I should really get back in, in touch." And I'm thinking, "Why are you just telling me this? Why don't you just do it?" And, and 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 people on the phone do the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I used to I used to go to church and I used to pray and and stuff. And yeah, I used to really be close to God. But yeah, I've I've gone away and life isn't as good and. And and so I'm usually a bit rude or bold, depending on how you... I say, well, perhaps you should sort of connect with God. Perhaps you you need to read your Bible and pray. I know you've rung this number, so you know that you've rung a church. Why don't you come? And the disturbing thing is that, not that people fall away from God, I mean, it's not pleasant, but it's not particularly disturbing, The disturbing thing is they all use the word good. I used to be a good Christian. And the sad thing about that, what that tells me is that the stress and the anxiety caused by trying to be a good Christian has actually driven them away. It's not being a Christian that's stressful. It's trying to be a good one. There are no good Christians. In church... I hear people comparing themselves to others based on what they know of other people's church attendance, prayer habits, Bible reading, revelation or lack of it, so that they can measure their goodness. Not in this church, of course, but other churches. I've heard that it happens. Because we carry a cultural context into our relationship with God because we live perhaps less and less these days, but to some degree in something called a meritocracy. And that's made of two words, merit and tocracy. <laughs> no, that's rubbish. The first word's correct, merit. It, it basically means we are, we are promoted or... or um, uh, what's the word? Um, valued, yes, acknowledged, um, based on how good we are at things. And so we come into the church... And we're told that the basis of Christianity is to form a relationship with God, to read the Bible, to pray, to come to church, to get involved in the community of God. And so we get the idea that the more we do of that, the better we are as Christians. And so other people, we look around sometimes, we say, well, I read the Bible more than Barry. He must not be a very good Christian. At least I'm a good Christian. So... I'll pray for Barry. God, please make Barry a better Christian. (laughs) If God could, he would be reaching down from the clouds and smacking me around the face, saying, you idiot, what on earth makes you think you're better than anybody else just because you read a bit more of the Bible? Because Barry's prayers are a lot better than yours. So, that's a bit insulting. But, I mean, can you imagine doing that in church is a bit like that heater there. Have you ever noticed the closer you get to the heater, the warmer it is? And if we, we sort of, if we get clo- close to the heater, imagine you're close to the heater and you're getting really toasty warm and you notice there's a, there's a space next to you. And you look back and you see Jess at the back and you know Jess feels the cold. And you sort of think, there's a space here. I can invite Jess closer to the heater. Now, guess what happens as Jess moves closer to the heater? She becomes a better person. No, she just gets warmer. You don't invite people closer to God to make them better people. You invite them closer to God to get warmer. I mean, not to get warmer, <laughs> to get to increase their rela- to get what you've got you are enjoying your relationship with God because you can see what God is doing in your life you invite people to do the same because you want God to do the same in their lives not because you think well they need to be a better person so i 'm going to invite them closer to god i 'm going to tell them they need to read the Bible if you read the Bible you'll be a better person come come with me let's read the Bible together and I want to see you improve because you you' really you really you, you need it but you sort of think that's hilarious but that's how people, Christians think they look at people and they, they want to get them saved because obviously you're an inferior human being if you're not saved because God so loved the world that he died for the saved no, he, died, he loved the world he didn't say well let's separate people into human and subhuman based on, on the decision that they make to follow me he said I love everyone and when people come into church, it's not a question of, okay, well, unless you've done the uh, New Christians program, you've been baptized and you speak in tongues and uh, you've sat on the board for 12 months or you've, you've been a barista or all of that, then you're not a good person. If it's about that, then we've fallen into exactly the same trap that Peter did. We believe that there are good Christians and if you follow that through, if there are good Christians, there have to be bad Christians, But Paul is saying there is no such thing. The kingdom of God does not have a hierarchy of goodness in it. You cannot be a good Christian. Stop trying. And stop trying to insist that other people be good Christians. Because there is no such thing. There are no good Christians. We're all crap at it. And the only measurement that God uses is that are you less crap at it today than you were yesterday? It's not a question of comparing your walk with other people's walk. It's comparing today with yesterday. What direction are you facing? Are you facing the light or have you turned your back on the light? That's all God looks at. You know, we, we have church culture. I mean, who, who notices that the, the, the two front rows here uh, A save for the important people. Um, you know, we we get these chairs because because we're important people. Now we we actually get them because it's easier to get up from the front row to, to do stuff like this than it is to get up from the back. It's just conv- we save these seats for the worship team, just so that they don't come barging through the crowd and try and get seats. Now, apart from those which are actually saved for practical reasons, there is actually nothing holy about that. If you you really wanted that chair there and you could give me a good reason why you should sit there, I'd be happy to move along. But it's usually people who get here early get the best seats. That's the only rule we have. If you're here and you want a seat and it's free, it's yours. If you want a better seat, get here early. That's it. And if somebody says, well, that's my seat, you say, sorry, I was here early nobody nobody has their specific seat nobody gets to save one nobody's important enough to say well okay I'm sorry but I always sit there um, you can't have that seat because I'm a better Christian than you no you got here first it's your seat and I, I, I can remember a time Vicky and I used to get to church sort of an hour early just so that we could get close to the front you know why? because one thing you don't realise unless you've tried to get a seat up the front is that the anointing decreases exponentially the further back you get. <laughs> the music isn't as good back there. Let me tell you, unless you've sat, stood on the front row and listened, you don't realise what you're missing out on. Now, M- Nathan makes sure that it's not a horrible experience because, you know, we, we have technology that works here to make everything but if you want a great experience you need to, you need to push into God it means that you need to get closer to the, the experience on a Sunday then go for it no bun fights but enthusiasm for that sort of thing is good you see I hear people bagging other denominations you sort of think well, what good does that do us You know, just because we have loud and exciting music. But often if you go into a Church of England church or a Catholic church, they have far more contemplative music, which doesn't actually mean that they're not in contact with God. They just express their relationship differently. And yet it's easy for us. We go in there and we think, well, this is boring. They need to get some life into this place. And they do all that liturgy stuff where they have... Latin doxologies and and, um, other Latin terms I have no idea what they mean Um, and they have rituals that we don't have and they they use um, senses that smoke and um, they um, observe feast days and things that, that we don't do and we look at that and we think well that's really strange they are one bunch of strange Christians but they're not they're just expressing things differently I mean, I've heard people refer to the the Catholic Church as the Antichrist. I mean, the Catholic Church has done some silly things in the past. And sometimes they are a bit boring. I knew, I, I know, I was brought up a Catholic. I used to pretend to be unconscious on Sunday mornings and totally unwakeable so I wouldn't have to go to church. But we actually have to face that the Catholic Church has actually got some things right. And they funnily enough believe in the same God that we believe in they acknowledge the same Jesus Christ and the same Holy Spirit who are we to say that we don't like the way they and yet there are websites which are dedicated to attacking other denominations so much for the the body of Christ working together as each part does its job we need to be a church that takes the narrow path I know that frightens a lot of people you think of the narrow path and you think restriction you think narrow mindedness you think difficult to follow you think easy to get lost on narrow path trees overhanging stuff like that a narrow path actually teaches us something it teaches us to get rid of what we don't need to walk on it, still remember the first Heisen Trail walk we did. It was me and Ben and Brendan, I think. Anybody else come along on that? <laughs> and uh, Ben had lent me his his um, you know the yoga mat thing to put my sleeping bag on, and Brendan had brought along his swag, which was a lot more comfortable than what I was sleeping on, but it was huge. And he strapped it to the top of his rucksack and it stuck out about this far. Uh, let me tell you, we were trekking on some narrow paths. And there were a number of times there where we looked back to see Brendan trying to walk past these two trees that had caught this thing. And, he's sit- and he backs up a bit and he he's... <laughs> sidles around again. And he, he struggled a lot. Um, now, this was our first one. We hadn't actually worked out you know, the best way to do do these things. And he he was a lot more comfortable at night, I would admit. But following a narrow path, he was actually catching which didn't help him on the journey. And when Jesus says, Pick the narrow road, because it's harder than the wide road, it's not a question of making us work hard. It's a question of if we choose to follow a narrow path, it means that We have to be lean and mean. And we need to ditch stuff that isn't necessary. The grace of God is enough. We don't have to carry extra baggage. And if we follow the narrow path, that's how God reminds us. If we fix our eyes on Jesus, if we understand that His grace is sufficient, we don't need that other stuff. But who knows, if you're walking down the middle of a freeway, you can burden yourself with that stuff because you've got the room. You think, why should I carry it? Let's get a shopping trolley. We can tow that and we can get a couple of dogs and we can lease them up to the front of the trolley. We can pile it full of all sorts of useless stuff and we can coast along the freeway with a, with a makeshift dog sled. Woo, wouldn't that be fun? You get to a narrow path and you think, the wheels are going to dig in. The dogs aren't too keen. I'm not carrying it. Don't need it. Let's ditch it that's how God wants us to live. Whereas the people that Peter was falling foul of the criticism of wanted to pile things on to make it difficult to focus on Jesus. You see, what we're called to do as a church is to help people get rid of baggage, not actually add to it a decision to follow Jesus is not a decision to accept a rule book it's actually a decision to change direction that's all we're called to do we're called to actually go against the flow, that's why you get criticised because the world is flowing one way and when you accept Jesus you turn around to go the other way and guess what happens when you do that? you bump into people People get shirty with you because you, you're a bit in the way. The, the road becomes slightly more difficult because people are—you're you're not going with the, the general flow. You've actually done something. You've changed direction. You've drawn attention to yourself. This is why Christianity isn't a a um, in your cupboard sort of let's not tell anybody I'll just worship God privately type affair. Because when you change direction, you make yourself noticed. Now some of us hate that. We'd like to just forget that anybody even even knows we're here. But that's not what God says. We're called to be different. While we're here, can I just get you to close your eyes? Bow your heads. See, God's call is always there. we get excited about church we get excited about the things we do as part of church but we've got to recognize that those things don't come out of an idea for us to be good we need to be doing them because we're excited about our relationship with Jesus Christ the fact that we pray is because we are excited to connect with our God The reason we read the Bible is that we're passionate about knowing who Jesus is, what he's done, what he'll do for us. The reason we connect together in community that we call church is because it's great to be with like-minded people. It's great to be able to worship out loud, pray out loud, feel safe in the presence of the Holy Spirit. So it's not a question of joining a church. It's not a question of buying a Bible. It's a question of changing direction to make all of those things worthwhile. So I want to invite you, if you're here this morning and you've never made that step to change the direction of your life and just turn around and say, okay, I'm going to accept that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I'm not going to go with the flow anymore. I'm going to actually turn around and and walk against it and accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour so that I can have a relationship with Him and I want to let you know this morning that that invitation is always open whether you've done it before and the, and the, the, the flow of humanity has turned you around again and taken you in the other direction Jesus says all you have to do is turn around acknowledge me and I'm there for you and to do that all we do is pray a short prayer to let God know that we're turning around and following him Now, with every eye closed every head bowed I want to issue that invitation this morning if you are here and you actually want to turn around And accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. I want you to put your hand up right now so that I can see it, nice and high. And I want to pray that prayer with you to enable you to turn around and follow Him. Is there anybody here this morning who wants to do that? Change from your old direction to take in a new direction. It's the light. Okay, open your eyes. Stand to your feet, please. just to lift your hands to heaven just start to pray just start to call out to God ask for his presence his Holy Spirit to fall right now start believing presence is changing you. if you need healing this morning I want you to start praying for healing if you know somebody who needs that healing I want you to start praying for them if you're facing a problem in your world that seems insurmountable I want you to start praying for that whether it's exams whether it's study, whether it's job related whether you need a pay rise, whether you need to get out of your job because it's destroying you, whether you need a promotion whether you just need wisdom in dealing with a person whether you're tired because you're exhausted from what life is throwing at you whether you're depressed because you feel that life is throwing too much at you, I want you to bring that to God right now just keep praying, Lord I bring before you my problems, my shortcomings my needs, my wants my desires, I laid them on your altar this morning, Lord and I unburden myself of the worry of the opinions of other people, of the criticisms that I face the uncertainty that I have in my heart let's make it a fresh start let's make it a start with nothing stooping your shoulders no weight that you you carry that isn't going to help you accept God's grace Is all sufficient. We thank you that nothing we add to you will bear fruit. Your presence is enough, your glory is sufficient, your love is all encompassing. We are yours and yours alone. us this morning Lord encourage us, enable us strengthen us